0: hello and welcome to and let's be heard for thursday december 29th 2022 i'm mike kachopoli okay here we are as we march through the week we march through the final week of 2022 on our way to 2023 oh it's amazing it's only a few days away now the new year is only a few days away and uh, i hope everyone is uh Celebrating or getting ready to celebrate or hanging out with family on vacation—the um, week everyone goes on vacation at the exact same time, the exact same time—and um, I hope the weather it looks like the weather is warming up. So this weekend, New Year's weekend will be much warmer than Christmas weekend. So people won't have as much trouble with the traveling, hopefully, and the and the flight delays. And all the mishigas with with, uh, Southwest Airlines. Can you believe so? Now, people seem to forget this happened like, what, three or four months ago. This happened three or four months ago, this thing with Southwest Airlines. a few months ago, they were having all these problems and delays and cancellations because of all the pilots that uh, had quit or resigned or retired early because they didn't want to do the vaccine because of the vaccine mandate. So they were short on pilots. They were short on staff. So this happened. This just happened a few months ago with these airlines. And Southwest was the worst of them. And now fast forward to the holiday season, and we have all these delays, and Southwest is the worst of them. So there's definitely an issue. There's definitely a problem with with Southwest Airlines. There's no doubt about it. Southwest Airlines has an issue. Um, People have speculated that it could be about the fact that they are a low budget airline, you know, there's a reason you get what you Hey, people, you get what you pay for. But in saying that, when I've looked at airfares, when I've, I'm very good, I'm a very good comparison shopper when it comes to airfares, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great comparison shopper. And when I've comparison shopped with, uh, with, with flights, I've always found that Southwest isn't that much cheaper. And often more expensive than some of the more, you know, you United, your Americans, your deltas, so on and so forth. So I don't know how much of a bargain it is. I really don't know. I think it might be a bargain in the head, in the mind. And, of course, there are people who have collected many miles on Southwest Airlines. They're pretty generous when it comes to accumulating miles. So people just use the miles. So they don't got to pay, right? I know people with like million, a million, over a million Southwest miles. So you want to use those. You don't want to waste them. So you use Southwest and you get in trouble. You know you see what happens. You get into you get into trouble because they don't have their shit together. Uh, people say another part of it is that they they pack these flights, one on top of the other, you know, where they're very short. there's like maybe forty five minutes to an hour tops in between flights, so they 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 turn around quick, right? They get in there, they clean, they're out, and they turn the flights around, and they've scheduled too many flights on top of each other and they do a lot of connections where they pick up where they pick up new crews and connecting cities and so there's a lot of problems with Southwest and they haven't straightened it out they they were warned by, by the very aren't you I got to tell you these airlines must be so afraid of Pete Buttigieg when Pete Buttigieg warns them they must shake in their boots they must shake in their boots when Pete Buttigieg warns them because he warned them Like I said, several months ago when this happened and Southwest was having all these problems with cancellations and delays, Pete Buttigieg warned them, oh, this can't happen again. You better not do this again. And here they are doing it again. And Pete Buttigieg is warning them again as though they can really do anything. Someone made a point, this is very funny, I think, that Pete Buttigieg is so bad at his job that people know who the transportation secretary is. Have you ever known who the transportation secretary is? No, but now you do know, right? Cause he's so fucking bad. You hear about him all the time. And, uh, even, uh, even extreme leftists like Nina Turner are calling him out as being a total failure. So Pete Buttigieg is certainly a failure at his job. To think that Democrats truly believe, to think Democrats truly believe that this guy, Can be the next president that he's on their bench secretary of transportation pete Buttigieg is on their bench for 2024 to be a nominee if biden drops out doesn't run could you imagine if that's the best the democrats can offer is this guy who can't even be the secretary of transportation the airlines step all over him believe me these airlines laugh at him they'd laugh at him when he warns them sternly oh we're going to look into this. We're going to look into this, and uh, and um, remember when he said two years ago he was going to really work on train travel. That he had, a, he had the Amtrak president. Remember Amtrak, remember Amtrak Joey? Hey Joey, baby, I'm going to pinch your cheek. Amtrak Joey wanted to do such great things with with with, with trains, even though he did nothing as far as improving the the rail system here. You know, forty six years. In Congress, forty-six years in uh, in politics, either as a senator or congressman, senator vice president. But as president, you know he was going to do something to improve the rail system, and then he had Pete Buttigieg, who was saying, "Oh, we're going to improve the rail system." And in two years, they've done nothing. In fact, it's gone backwards. It's gone backwards. So Pete Buttigieg has been a total bomb out. He's a total bomb. Remember his young, his young, boyish-looking face fooled voters of New Hampshire. Fooled some voters in New Hampshire to where he almost tied Sanders in that uh, in the in the primary, the first primary of 2020. And then he faded away. He faded out. As soon as they went down south into the cities that were more diverse, the states that were more diverse. No one cared about Pete Buttigieg. So an epic fail as a presidential candidate, epic fail as, as transportation secretary. And certainly, certainly a total disaster for the Democrats if he's one of the top people. On their bench. If he's the guy in 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 baseball in AAA who's ready to come up to the majors and make a big splash, if that's all they got, they are in huge fucking trouble. Huge trouble. I don't recommend traveling this time of year. I really don't. I understand what people do it, right? You people who don't live, I haven't lived in New York, I haven't lived near my family in decades. So I understand this idea of wanting to go home for. The holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the New Year. But if you can avoid it, you should. This is what I have done in the past. I've traveled right after New Year's, like January 3rd, 4th, 5th. And if you go online right now, if you go online right now, if you haven't already made your plans, obviously, if you're already already on the road or made plans for the weekend, it's not going to happen. But if you haven't, and you're thinking, oh, oh, I wanted to go home for the holidays but all this crap going on all this michigas I don't want to do it now when can I go if you go on now this is a this is the travel advisory show this is a travel agent show mike chopley your friendly travel agent um go online now go on like um, hotels.com go on uh, booking.com go on hotwire i like hotwire and priceline and orbits go on there now and check check for the normally expensive places like like san francisco though i don't recommend you come here ever or New York or Chicago, check those places out for like the week after New Year's and you'll see how dirt cheap hotels are. You can get like a five-star hotel in New York now for like $150, you can get like a four-star hotel for like a hundred for that week after New Year's. In fact, most of January and February. But if you want to travel right after the holidays when no one else is traveling, when everyone is not traveling, when it's light, when you don't got to worry about crowds and cancellations and screaming kids and families with 20 you know, bags of luggage and really, really cheap hotel deals and, and lower airline, airfares, I'm telling you, the week after New Year's is the best time to go. The best time to go. Then you go into cities where there aren't tourists all over the place. It's quieter. It's calmer. You know, you can get restaurant reservations easier. If you go to New York, Broadway's easy to go to. It's the time to go. I know people go, oh, the holidays are over and it's really cold. And I'm telling you, if you travel after New Year, you'll save a ton of money. It'll be much more relaxed. You'll get to where you have to go. And, and you'll spend half or a third of what you would spend on hotels now. So That's my little travel advice. Travel advice. You get everything here. This is—I'm is, a Renaissance man, aren't I?
1: Really, in a lot of
0: ways, I think so. In a lot of ways, if I may toot my own horn. Um, so now that we got the travel portion of the show out of the way, uh, it's obvious people are traveling this week. People are gone. There's nothing happening. It's very quiet. I feel it. Don't you feel it? Not only on on this show here, but also on like television. All the regulars are out on Fox. All the fill-ins who are fantastic are, are in. Um, uh, you can tell on Twitter. Even Twitter is slowed down. Social media has slowed down. You can tell. So everyone is kind of like taking uh, this break until after the new year to just, I think, check out and uh, not think about things much. But not here. We're gonna do. We're doing shows here. We're doing shows tonight. I'll be back on tomorrow night. We're doing shows. We're doing shows. Um, And we're going to talk about the things that are happening. There are still things happening um, in the world of COVID, in the world of the COVID policy failures, in the world of accountability that's about to come in Congress starting next week. We're actually going to go from like zero to 100, right? This week is zero and next week's going to be 100 because on Wednesday, Tuesday, I always get mixed up. Yeah, Tuesday the 3rd, um, the new Congress is seated. So that's really things that are going to start getting going next week. Things are really going to rash it up very quickly. And the Republicans promise hearings right away. It's not going to be like, oh, we'll wait a month or two. They are going to get into it right as they take power. And so things are going to start to uh, heat up. There'll be a lot more to talk about. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the accountability, the, the COVID accountability. And I guess this is all, this idea of COVID accountability and accountability for COVID failures is really setting the stage for the incoming Congress, right? This is all like setting the stage for what's about to come, setting the stage for what's about to take place. And all the information, all the evidence, all the receipts that are now coming in, that are now coming in from... uh Twitter and the Twitter files and the emails and the correspondence, and all we know now, all we know now, that's happening. And that has happened over the last two and a half years. This is all going to be grist for the mill when it comes to the Republicans and their questioning, right? They'll be able to now refer to these things. They'll be able to refer to Elvis Chan, Chan. They'll be able to refer to Yoel Roth. They'll be able to refer to the correspondence between the CDC and Twitter, the FBI and Twitter. They'll be able to they'll be able to reference all of these things that they would not have been able to reference to if COVID had remained if COVID if Twitter had remained uh, under the last ownership group. So. When looking into these things, now we're getting, now that we have all this information, and next week, uh, Elon Musk promises another treasure trove of information when it comes to the COVID files. But what we have so far, people are now starting to write about, right? Now you're starting to see articles in places like the Washington Examiner, the Daily Mail, the Wall Street Journal. Um, By the way, the Wall Street Journal is probably one of the few legacy media places where you can at least find opinion articles written from people, on the right side of history, on the right side of things, not from the usual legacy media narrative. And so, what I'm going to read shortly is an article um, written by Scott Atlas, who I met a few months ago. I met Scott Atlas a few months ago down in Stanford. He was giving a little uh, a little conference there, and uh, about his time in the Trump White House and dealing with people like Fauci and Burks and Redfield and and Walensky and all those, you know, the cast of characters. And he wrote uh, an article about academia. When will academia account for its COVID failures? And as he says in this article, he writes, that we need universities to be robust centers of debate, not rigid enforcers of ideological conformity. And this article was shared by Jay Bhattacharya, on Twitter today. That's, that's where I found it. Um, before I go to this article by Scott Atlas, I do want to play a little clip of Robert Kennedy, Robert Kennedy Jr. So, I'm gonna look at all these people. Look at this is amazing. This is tonight's show. Is everyone Mike has met in his life? I actually met Robert Kennedy Jr. about fifteen years ago. I met Robert Kennedy Jr. about fifteen years ago in a gym. I swear to you, in a gym in Seattle, he was there at that time he was doing the, the water stuff, right? The water, environmental, clean water thing that he's been into and he was there giving a speech. And I go to my gym and I see this guy working out. And I'm like, I think that's Robert Kennedy Jr. And and his phone case. He's, he's doing bench presses, right? And his phone keeps ringing. He had a cell phone and it keeps ringing. And so he's doing like a set, he's doing like one set Putting it down, talking on the phone, doing another set. The phone kept ringing like every 10 seconds. And, uh, which is also bad gym etiquette, but I didn't say that to Robert Kennedy Jr. And so I go up to him and I say very cleverly, Hey, aren't you Robert Kennedy Jr.? (laughs) I'm so, I'm so smooth. And he says, Yes, I am. And we started talking. And we just, this was right as the, a Democratic presidential prime. This is just as the presidential primary of 2007 was going. This is when it was Obama versus Hillary. So that's the time frame. I remember it was probably late, mid to late 2007. I think that was about the time frame. And uh, so we were talking about the primary. We were talking about Obama and Hillary and who could win and blah, 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 and other stuff. And I remember saying to him, and this was the dumbest thing, this is the dumbest thing anybody can ever say to anybody. I said the dumbest thing you can ever say to somebody, I said it. Here's Robert F. Kennedy Jr. How much money does he have? How much money is he worth? And I said to him, because his phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. So I said to him, you know, I really hope you have an unlimited plan. Isn't that a great thing to say to a multimillionaire? It's like saying it to Elon. Imagine seeing Elon Musk and his phone keeps ringing. You say, oh, I really hope you have an unlimited plan, Elon. I mean, what an idiot I am anyway. So I said, I hope you have an unlimited plan. He smiled. But the phone really was ringing like every five seconds, every five seconds. But that's where I met Robert Kennedy Jr. So before I go into the article written by Scott Atlas, who I just recently met, let me play a clip from Robert Kennedy Jr., who I met 15 years ago, talking about The COVID censors, if I can cue it up, just stay with me here for a second. Okay, here we go.
2: You think about this, I got expelled from Instagram because of vaccine misinformation. But Instagram and Facebook cannot point to one single erroneous statement that I ever made. Everything we post is vetted It is sourced and cited to government databases or peer-reviewed publications. They use the term vaccine misinformation. They are using it as a euphemism for any statement that departs from official government policies and pharmaceutical industry profit-taking. It has nothing to do whether it's true or false. It only has to do with what the political implications are. And who is doing this censorship? It's government officials in league with Bill Gates, with Larry Ellison, with Mark Zuckerberg, with Sergey Brin from Google, and with all of these internet titans there, they have engineered, not only the destruction of our democracy and our civil rights, but they have engineered the biggest shift of wealth in human history. 3.8 trillion dollars from working people to these handful of billionaires, many of them from Silicon Valley. This pandemic has impoverished the world and created 500 new billionaires. And those are the people who are strip mining our economies and making themselves rich. And is it a coincidence? That these are the same people who are censoring criticism of the government policies that are bringing them trillions of dollars. The people aren't stupid. We can see what's happening. We can ask the question, qui bono? And the answer is the people who are benefiting are the people who are squeezing away our constitutional rights. And engineering the
0: destruction of democracy worldwide. So it's, it's unfortunate. His, his voice is actually getting worse. His voice wasn't was actually pretty good. It wasn't that bad fifteen years ago. I, I don't know what, what his problem is, uh, but I, I feel bad because I hope he doesn't lose his voice because he has such a a powerful message, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He has such a powerful message about how the 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 and this is what bothers me so much about the so-called progressives over the last few years is that, as he said, this pandemic in such a short period of time, just a few years, and this, I think this is, I don't know if it was exactly when this was said, I think it might have been a while back, uh, has made more billionaires, has made the rich richer, has made millionaires billionaires, right? While it has impoverished everyone else, it has impoverished millions and millions of people. And how the progressives can pretend that doesn't matter or champion it or continue, or, you know, censor us and believe in the censorship of us and to be on the side of Big Pharma. And so basically these phony fucking progressives were, again, I, I can, you know, I can understand it by the Democratic establishment because they've always been liberal leaders who don't really give a shit about anybody. But when you have progressives who pretended to complain, to, to care about the the less fortunate And then you have a pandemic in which the policies, once again, very, very clear point here. Not the virus, okay? Not a virus. The flu never created billionaires. The flu never impoverished millions of people. So a virus cannot do that, okay? The colds have not created billionaires, colds did not impoverish millions of people. It wasn't COVID that did this. It was the COVID policies. I know I've made this point a million times. I'll make it a million more. And that's what the, the point that Robert Kennedy's trying to make and why progressives are so, so phonies, such phonies, because it's these policies they supported and they continue to support. And if you're against these policies, they call you a Trumper, a right-winger, a conspiracy theorist, a domestic terrorist, a white supremacist, to show how full of shit the progressive left is and always has been. At their core, they are virtue-signaling, of shit fraudsters. And that's the point that, that Robert Kennedy makes a lot more eloquently than I do, which is that this is what's happened over the last two and a half years. The billionaire class has grown, and the middle class and less fortunate have, have suffered the most. The minorities that the progressives supposedly care about so much have suffered the most. And all of the stuff that he said And people like Jay Bhattacharya said, and and many doctors said on Twitter over the last two and a half years, was all factual stuff. It was all vetted stuff. The stuff Fauci said was never factual. It was never vetted. It was just out of his ass. There were no facts to back him up. There was no evidence to back him up. His stuff was allowed to be out there as though it was the word of God, while people like Robert Kennedy Jr., who actually care about people, who's always cared about people, um, would tell the truth, and his stuff would be censored. And so that's what he's talking about here. So this is the accountability that we need to see. We need to see total accountability for these people who use this virus to get powerful, to use this virus to get wealthy, while other people perished and died. Like Fauci, where so many people Promote him as though once again the legacy media and the Democrats and the Progressives promote him as though he's the, he's the greatest doctor ever. We know he's not even a real doctor, really. He's just a snake oil salesman. That's what Fauci's been for the last. I don't know what Fauci was forty years ago, but I know over the last four decades he's been a snake oil salesman. Maybe he was a real doctor till he was thirty. I I don't know, or thirty-five. But since then, he's been a snake oil salesman. For big pharma. That's all he's done. He got into that. That was, he's like a lobbyist. He got into that business. If he was ever a real doctor, I don't know if he ever was, but if he was, he decided I can make even more money and it'd be a lot easier. I don't got to deal with people. I don't got to deal with patients. I can make a lot more money just being a political whore and a snake oil salesman for big pharma. And that's what he was through the AIDS epidemic and in COVID. A snake oil salesman for big pharma where he's made millions of dollars. Robert F. Kennedy could also add Fauci who became a millionaire over the last three years, who made millions over the suffering of people, over the suffering of people during a quote-unquote pandemic. So the accountability has to happen. The accountability has to come because these people have lived high off the hog, high on the hog the last three years. They promoted themselves. They became celebrities, and other people have suffered. The masses have suffered while these people flourished. And now that the tables need to turn. Tables need to turn, and these people need to sweat. They need to be punished. They need to be humiliated. <clears throat> what is Jimmy two times saying? Kevin, hold on. Let me get to you, Kevin. Wait a minute. I'm just going to look at your comment. How about anyone who's in favor of South America? We Qaddafi we them. Well, I don't want to Qaddafi anybody. We shouldn't have Qaddafied Qaddafi. We shouldn't have Qaddafi. I mean, what Obama and Hillary did, and they laughed about it. That was another crime. <clears throat> but um, I think they need to be put in front of a jury of their peers. That's all. They, they need to be put in front of a jury of their peers. Let the jury decide. Let a jury decide. They need to be indicted. They need to be here. They need to be hearings. They need to be indictments. They need to be trials. And then let democracy work. Let democracy work. That's what needs to happen. Let me get into now Scott Atlas. Scott Atlas, once again, The Wall Street Journal, uh, just earlier today, wrote an opinion about academia accounting for its COVID failures. Remember, just once again, a short primer, Atlas at a Stanford University. He Actually, Atlas is a senior fellow in health policy at Stanford and the Hoover Institute and a founding fellow at Hillsdale College's Academy for Science and Freedom. And he was brought into this whole thing back in the summer of 2020 by Trump, who had realized at that point that he had made a mistake putting Fauci front and center and creating this Frankenstein monster who the legacy media sucked up to and who became the anti-Trump because he knew politically it was a thing to do. The son of a bitch Fauci knew. He knew politically that was a thing to do, to be the anti-Trump to gain popularity and money. and. Uh, and and be sucked by by the liberal media by the by the legacy media and the democrats and the progressives so he became the anti-trump and trump realized oh shit, i made a mistake never said it still hasn't but realized by the summer of 2020 july august he had made a mistake letting fauci run things so he brought in scott atlas so scott atlas came in and as he tells it at the stanford event i went to a few months ago He was given a hotel room in D.C. He was given a printer. He had a computer. And he would print up all these different facts and evidence and charts and graphs and PowerPoints about everything from from mass to vaccines to lockdowns to, 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 you know, kids not being able to go to school, all this stuff. And he'd bring it into these meetings with Fauci and Redfield and Burks, And he'd say, look, he'd have stacks of information, right? Stacks of papers. And he would show it. And, and Fauci and Redfield and Burks would have that look on their face. I always call it the way he describes it. Obviously, I wasn't there. The way Atlas describes it, I looked, I remember South Park, when they show South Park and the teacher says something, and they they pan to the class, and the class has that blank look on their face. That's the way I see Fauci, Burks and Redfield having that look, where it's almost like they had no idea what Fauci was talking about when he was talking about actual evidence and facts and data. And they didn't care. And they pretty much said they didn't care. They said, no, this is the narrative, you're an outlier. So all the facts that that Atlas had, they called him an outlier, even though these were facts, these were case studies, these were studies, these were were peer reviews, this was evidence. They would just say, oh, you're an outlier, we're going to keep going with our narrative. And after a few months of that, Atlas was like, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do this anymore, I'm not getting anywhere with these three musketeers. These three shills for big farmers. There were shills for Big Pharma. And this was just a few months before the vaccine. This is when the vaccines were getting ready. The vaccine rollout was going to happen. And they were not going to have anyone interfere with that or correct them on the lockdowns that they had inflicted on, on, on millions and millions of people. So after a few months of that, I think it was August, September, October, of, you know, Atlas said, I'm going back to California. I'm not getting anywhere with these people. And so that's who Scott Atlas is. And, you know, Scott Atlas has been on uh, a lot of podcasts, the Fox News, uh, talking about ever since. So many, um, many in America's academic class betrayed the public trust during the pandemic to sway the American people to accept lockdown. Professors with prestigious titles and affiliations denied scientific data about risks, effective mitigation and biological protection. They spouted politicized opinion as if it were objective truth and demonized views counter to their preferred narrative. In February of 2020, The Lancet published a letter from some of America's most famous university virologists condemning as conspiracy theorists any suggestions that COVID-19 didn't have a natural origin. This is a question that remains unanswered today. Was there any purpose of that untruthful letter other than to intimidate the scientific debate at the pandemic start? Fast forward to November 19, 2020, the Stanford faculty senate condemned my work as an advisor to President Trump, charging that I promoted a view of COVID-19 that contradicts medical science. Yet, virtually every scientific point I made exactly matched those of Jay Bhattacharya and John Ioannidis, both Stanford professors of medicine, including the risk for children, spread from children, focus protection, post-infection immunity, masks, and the harm from school closures and lockdowns. The difference, I alone on the podium, speaking to the press and the public, serving my country next to Republican president, the Stanford faculty, reviled. Many American universities, particularly elite schools, now explicitly emphasize ideology, even in the hard sciences. In a November report, the National Association of Scholars examined the proliferation of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Language on the websites of Ivy League schools, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics departments. Stanford may now be the American university most hostile to free speech with its recently exposed elimination of harmful language initiative, a list of approved and disapproved words that exceeds anything anticipated by Orwell. After being publicly ridiculed, the school moved quickly to hide the list behind a university login. Colleges and universities are essential to a free society. We entrust them with the responsibility to teach the next generation of leaders to think critically, a process that by its very essence requires consideration and comparison of opposing views. At their best, universities are centers for the free exchange of ideas and bastions of independent thought. At their worst, they are centers of partisan indoctrination and ideological conformity. How do we return to a university that models the free exchange of ideas? The problem can't be solved by issuing more declarations on freedom. Like nearly all universities, Stanford has a long-standing institutional statement on academic freedom. Dating from 1974, it expounds expression of the widest range of viewpoints should be encouraged free from institutional orthodoxy and from internal or external coercion. In theory, academics with unpopular views are protected by tenure. In practice, there's a nuance to how dissidents are censored by the modern university. Regardless of tenure, one can be suspended without pay or marginalized to the point of invisibility. Formal censure can be decreed by the faculty senate. This kind of public condemnation by colleagues may seem an impo- impotent expression of political hatred, but it serves to silence other university faculty members who are more easily frightened. I have received hundreds of emails. From academics around the country urging me to keep speaking the truth. But they say they're too afraid to do it themselves. Public apologies from the failed expert class would partly restore trust and help prevent future abuses. But ultimately, admission of error requires integrity. Realistically, then, the solution rests in people becoming courageous, particularly since bullies characteristically crumble when challenged. We need people of integrity in the, in the academy to stand and be counted. That includes college presidents, some of whom disagree with the ideological rigidity of their faculties, but are too cowed or too comfortable to say so. We also need to hold universities accountable for failing to ensure academic freedom while raking in massive amounts of taxpayer money. 15 American research universities got over a half a billion dollars from the NIH in 2022 alone. The dependence of the research enterprise, including the careers of virtually every academic scientist on NIH money, realistically limits their will to question, let alone criticize the powerful agency and its leadership, and as I'll add, Fauci. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, we need to keep teaching our own children, the next leaders of this country, to always remember what G.K. Chesterton wrote, right is right, even if nobody does it. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong about it. Oh, what a great opinion article. What a great opinion article. And this is what we've talked about many times, that these universities get money from the NIH, so then they, they can't criticize the NIH. So this has to stop. Either they need to be allowed to criticize the NIH, or I think the better option is you don't get money from them because there cannot be this conflict of interest. There cannot be this conflict of interest where they get money from the and then they can't criticize the opinions, that come from that institution. They can't criticize Francis Collins. They can't criticize Tony Fauci, because if they do, Fauci will say, well, I think um, uh, this th- these three universities shouldn't get the money. These three universities, I don't think they should get our money. And believe me, he does that. So he will withhold funds. Remember what Fauci and others at NIH, and CDC and WH will do, is they will do what the Democrats claim Trump did, right? Calling Zelensky and saying, if you don't do what I want you to do, we're not going to help you anymore, right? But they do it. You don't have the phone calls to prove it, but believe me, they do it, as Scott Atlas outlines here. So it's kind of like this is a, this is a, they hold the universities hostage. This is like a bribe, right? We're going to give you this money, and then you're going to promote our narrative. And anyone who's outside that narrative, you're going to squash if you want to continue to get that money. So this kind of quid pro quo between the NIH and these massive universities, they need to stop. It needs to stop because it's been proven now. Now, how many decades has it been going on? We're just learning this now because of the last three years of COVID, right? We're learning how this conflict of interest is bad and can continue. And, What it does in the end is it kills people, right? Because people don't get the proper information. They don't get the real word. So people die. So this is really blood money. This is blood money that goes from the NIH to these 15 American research universities. Think about that, 15 got over a half a billion dollars. So they get a shitload of money each, right? They're getting a shitload of money, and that was just this year. That was just this year. Forget about before this year. Forget about pre-COVID. And, of course, that's the kind of money they're going to continue to want. They're going to continue to want that money. And believe me, yeah, Collins is out, Fauci's gone, to, you know, on Saturday, when the fuck Sunday. But it doesn't matter because there'll be other people in their wake who have the same power and the same ability to make these research universities push their narrative. And if they push any kind of dissenting narrative, they don't get the money. That's why people say, oh yeah, but the experts say, but no no no. The experts say they 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 they, they second Fauci. They, of course they second Fauci because they want the money. And if they don't second Fauci, if they criticize Fauci, they don't get the money. It's that simple. As always, folks, as always, what do we always say on this show? Follow the money. Follow the money. Yes, power is important, but power is a psychological thing, right? People want power psychologically, often subconsciously. But the money, baby, (laughs) the money rules, baby. It's about the money. So when you follow that, you can follow it to this and follow it. This is why. This is why so many good doctors were silenced. This is why so many good doctors were silenced. If you want our money, you're going to promote our narrative. And if you stray from that, you ain't getting money in the future anymore. So they go, okay. And of course, you'll say, well, how do these... You know, universities. How do people running these these research universities? How do they live with that? Well, they simply just live with it by saying, "Well, yeah, Fauci knows his stuff." Okay, you know, even though they know he's full of shit, I think in their in their conscience they can say, "Oh, well, you know, he knows things." These people at the NIH, they're good. They're good people. They know stuff, so we'll just go with what they say. And that's how this continues on and on and on. And on. And that's why we we have to dig and dig and dig and dig and research. Oh, oh, you're a you're a conspiracy theorist if you if you do your own research. Well, you see, we have to do our own research. We have to. Because we know people like Fauci are blocking this from simply being accessible easily. They block it from being accessible easily. So we have to do our own our own research. We have to do our own research. And in doing our own research, we go to things like, thank you, Daniel. and Daniel, if you, Daniel, you're invited to come on anytime you want now to talk about this because this is from one of those science, it's called sciencedirect.com, and it's written in very, I, I went through it, and it's written in very scientific language. But basically what this is is age-stratified infection fatality rate of COVID-19 is the, in the non-elderly population. So it's age-adjusted infection fatality rate for COVID-19 in the non-elderly population. I believe that's what it is. And um, this goes on, this report goes on to talk about, uh, across 31 systematically identified national seroprevalence studies in the pre-vaccination era, the median infection fatality of COVID-19 was estimated to be 0.034% for people age zero to 59. Let me go through that again. Let me go through that again. (laughs) Zero point zero three four percent, zero fifty nine, and zero point zero nine five percent for those aged zero to sixty nine. So it went up. It goes up. Well, that's about three times, but still, it's less. It's less than. It's less than one tenth of one percent, even when you add on the ages 60 to 70, basically. So from ages zero to 69, the infection fatality rate was 0.095%. The median IFR was 0.0003% at zero to 19 years, 0.002% at 20 to 29 years, 0.011%, 30 to 39 years, and 0.035%, 40 to 49, and it goes on to zero point. It finally gets to just above one-tenth of 1%, 0.123%, 50 to 59, and 0.506% at 60 to 69. So that would be, even at 60 to 70 years old, it's 0.5%. At a global level, pre-evacuation IFR may have been as low as 0.03% and 0.07% for 0.59 and 0.69-year-old people, respectively. The IFR estimates and non-elderly populations are lower. Yeah, they're lower than previous calculations, have suggested. Well, how about this? Uh, if you remember early on, but well, not for even early on, during the, the entire year of 2020, we were told there were articles written that said the fatality rate, the infection fatality rate for COVID overall was 3 to 5%. 3 to 5%. At the beginning, they were, everyone was saying 3%. The average was like 3%, and people were freaking out. People are freaking out. Yes, three out of every 100 people. They were saying in 2020 that three out of every 100 people that got COVID overall were dying from it. I knew it was incredible bullshit because if, once again, I know, William, I'll get to you in a second. Daniel, if you want to call in and expound more on this, you can. But I think I'm getting it right. I think I'm getting it right that. The infection fatality rate was exaggerated by thousands of times, not a little bit, thousands of times, where people believed that three out of every hundred people were dying, that got it would die of it. And I knew it was bullshit, because I knew, like, I have something called common sense, right, or uncommon sense. And... I knew that if that were the case, I would know people that I would personally know several people that would die, that died, right? Not only would I know personally several people that died, but I would know, I would have to know maybe 10, 15, 20 people that died. If I include all my friends and people they knew who died. Plus, people you saw on television would die, right? Very, very popular people that you see on television, on a daily basis, some of those people would have to die. So I knew this was total bullshit. I knew it was total, utter, incredible bullshit that three out of every hundred people that got this were going to die from it. Yet if you said that in 2020, if you said that in March, April, May of 2020, you were canceled from Twitter and Facebook. You were given suspensions. Your account was deleted. Because you were spreading false information. Understand this before I get to the calls. By saying you did not believe that it was total fucking bullshit, that three out of every hundred people that got COVID were dying, you were, you were censored for misinformation. That's how sick this was and continues to be. But I'm going to go to William, then I'll the, uh, then go to Daniel, just so he can explain this a little bit more. All right, William, then I'll go to you, William. Let me see if I can do this. Okay.
1: Daniel. You're on the air. Yeah, you, you, you got it right, Mike. Um, the, the abstract there, um, which which you pretty much read through, um, you got it pretty much um, right on. Um, to put a little bit more perspective for the 0 to 19 age group, the um, that amounts to 3 out of 1 million um, succumbing to a COVID infection. And the and important part to remember is, is this is... Um, COVID deaths uh, using the um, same uh, criteria that have been used to uh, tally the 1 million or so number that has been tallied. And of course, we know that those aren't deaths from COVID, they're deaths with, with SARS CoV 2 PCR test positive. Um, so that number is in the end when I'm sure I need is going to keep a uh, keep refining this, that number is probably going to be reduced by a third. So I think in the end we will have, uh, for childhood deaths, zero to 19, about one in a million. These, these uh, There are a lot more uh, than one in a million children with serious chronic diseases that are very, very, very sick. And um, those would be the kids that um, would have um, died from this um, as a contributing factor. These are kids. Let me, that, let, me ask, let me ask you a question. Does this make does this does this report make COVID less deadly than the flu? It makes it about it makes it about equal to to the flu um, over the entire three year period. Now it's about equal to the common cold.
0: I'm sorry. Uh, let me. I so said uh, averaging over, over the-,
1: the, the averaging averaging uh, sorry the the the, the um. If I remember correctly from, from the study, this was a, a post-vaccine or pre-vaccination study, if I remember correctly. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So so over the worst period, over one of the worst periods for this, it was on par with the flu. Now it, it is it is about the has the infection fatality raised rate. And, and I, I, mean, I can't say this with a, I don't have any hardcore um, hard estimates. Um, but I'm sure Ioannidis is going to come up with them pretty soon. Now, I think you can probably um, uh, safely assume that it's on, core, on par with an infection fatality rate for a common cold. People do die from the common I cold. I see,
0: meaning, meaning very rare. Yeah. Most people don't die from a cold.
1: right? No, right. they don't, but people, people, die do, from, people the most, do die from common right, colds so as a contributing factor to the right. death. They're usually very sick people just as it with COVID. Right,
0: I see. So at the at basically we can we can pretty much say from this study that
1: at the worst period of time it was about as bad as the flu. Yep. And the worst the, the, period of time was period. made, yeah. and the worst period of time was made worse by the overreaction of the medical community to this. They were putting people on ventilators. Why? I mean, in, in medical school, I had to do a rotation through an ICU. In, in medical school, and one of the la- that you were taught, one of the last things you ever want to do is put somebody on a ventilator. When you put somebody on a ventilator, it is extremely difficult to get them off a ventilator. It's almost a death sentence. It's a prolonged death sentence, almost, to put somebody on a ventilator. Sometimes people make it off, but it is very difficult to make it off a ventilator. And and that was thirty over 30 years ago when I was in medical school. So it, things haven't progressed all that much when it comes to putting on ventilators. So during that, that initial period, they were... Overtreating people and that over treatment was killing people so even that ifr that that pre vaccine ifr which ionese has has estimated is is over is an overestimate the estimate is too high for a number of reasons i've already said um it's the died with versus died from covid problem and it's the over treatment problem
0: right okay so that 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 and you know and once again, if you said something as simple as this is basic. And I think I might have said this. I, I think I might have said this or other people may have said it and, and been suspended for this. If you had said in 2020 that this is basically a flu, or even if you were really generous and said a bad flu, your comment was taken down or you were you were it was known as being misinformation. They would put a tag on it. But
3: of definitely. course,
0: now we know. Right now we know, of course, we were the real, we were given the real information. And people like Fauci knows were giving the disinformation. Remember, it was – Tony Fauci never once said that that 3% number was wrong. He never yeah. once said that that 3% number was wrong. And I remember the Stanford University, this was maybe May or June, maybe May of 2020, came out with something that did refute the 3% number. They said that the fatality rate would be between – I think they said in that report in May of 2020 – the fatality rate would end up to 0.1 to point maybe around 0.15. That's what they said. Now it ends up even lower than that, but that at least was much lower than the, than the fear and hysteria rate of of 3%. Yet that Stanford report was labeled as misinformation. If you posted it and no one in the legacy media talked about that study.
1: Yep. I'm sorry. Sorry, Mike, I've got some noise in the background. Yes. So, so um, there is also a, um, a new article that, um, that was published this month in the British Myrtle, British Medical Journal, the BMJ. Um, and it is you know, right, right in a great step with the uh, with the IFR estimates. And it's basically calling them out on at least five different issues of, of why the universities should stop discriminating against unvaccinated um, students because there is simply no risk post to them. Um, you should, I think I may have sent you that article, um, but I recommend that you take a look at that too.
0: Yeah, no, no, there's, there's plenty of stuff coming out now, but yet even this, even the study you sent me, which is very well documented with facts. I mean, it goes on forever, you know, um, who will talk about this? Well, are we going to hear about this on CNN? Is CNN going to come out with a – and, you know, of course, it's, you don't have to go through the whole thing. CNN can make it very simple the way I did. Is CNN or MSNBC going to do a report and anytime soon saying the fatality rate was 20,000 times lower than they said it was? Are they ever going to do that? No. Of course not. And I'm asking a rhetorical question. I, yes, they, they, they won't do it. They won't do it. In fact, there's a good chance you won't even see this on Fox. I mean, this is real information. And this is incredibly, this just really proves how people were duped. They wanted people to be afraid. Course, they yeah. wanted to scare people so they can get away with their bullshit like lockdowns.
1: Yeah, it, one of the um, things uh, Five said in, in uh, one of his emails with, was that he uh, thought that people weren't sufficiently frightened.
0: He said, our job is to, fr- I want. I, he said, I need to frighten people more. That's what he said, basically. Yeah. He said, my job is to frighten people. And who, what what doctor what doctor worth anything would say something like that? A doctor, a doctor's job is to tell people the truth.
1: It's the truth and nothing but the truth. It should be. Um, and at, at the same time, uh, people like Fauci and and his minions weren't emphasizing the, the most important thing, which would get get your house in order. No, as far as your health goes, which mean, which for most almost all Americans meant um, drop the obesity. Um, that wasn't once mentioned, not one thing, not one single time.
0: Well, no, of course not. But that's 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 part of the course. Has, has Fauci once in his 40 years, in his last 40 years working at the NIH, has he ever mentioned obesity once? I don't think I've ever seen him talk about obesity once. The guy who's high up at the wow. National Institute of Health in a country of 300 plus million people has never once said, has never all these. Shows he's done. He's been. He's probably been on. He's probably been on Legacy Media over the last two and a half years. About for, for about eight eight. You know altogether, probably about five thousand hours. He's never once said anything about obesity. Never once.
1: No, he did not. Man, was never once has he, he. Never. Yeah, he he could
0: have said something Yeah, I'm sorry. He could have said something like, "Of course, this isn't the whole thing." But you know what? Maybe during this period, we should watch what we eat. And, and exercise and lose some weight. And maybe we shouldn't close the fuck, but that didn't, but that didn't see that went against the idea of closing gyms like schmuck, like the hair gel thing in California did. Yeah.
1: And it was a huge missed opportunity. Um, we had a once in a lifetime opportunity to pass us by to get the, uh, uh, obesity, uh, motivate people truthfully to get the obesity pandemic uh, under control. Um, and, and this obesity pandemic is costing us, I mean, as I mentioned before, our GDP uh, percent GDP spent on healthcare pre obesity pandemic was about seven percent. Now it's around twenty three percent. This is this is a national security issue at this point. We're spending so much money on obesity, and we've seen over the last few years the cost of obesity to all of us with respect to our freedom, with respect (laughs) to our dignity, with respect to every aspect of our society. I would like I I I submit that every institution of importance of real importance to us in this country is broken and I mean severely broken and at the core of this is broken science. I'm a scientist. I've been at this for 40 years in science. I am I, I have always been disgusted by by the brokenness of science. But it over the last 3 years let me, let me put it this way. Over, over the last 10 years, we saw it dramatically increase. The brokenness of science, the failures of science to police itself dramatically increased. And, and when I thought it could get no worse, COVID happened. And and and, well. the, and the veracity of science decreased exponentially. Mm-hmm. I, I, I cannot tell you how many pre-COVID, how many times a paper would come across my desk and review maybe a paper once a month. And they're absolute shit, absolute shit papers. I'd send them back to the editor and say, uh, no, I'm not getting this thing past my desk. No way. Um, and no, it's not retrievable by, by, any, by any minor or major revisions. It's simply not. Sometimes the the, the editor would overrule me. And, and they would overrule me usually because the authors were well-connected, the, meaning these are authors that are going to potentially be reviewing their grant submissions to the NIH. Right, and staff. all the money, all the money. And, and and they don't they they want to give them the most um, uh, brownie points possible before they go looking to them to be scratched on the back. And mm-hmm. this is the, the science is broken at so many levels, and it starts at it starts at the level of getting a master's or PhD. And, and and what it takes to get a master's in PhD and how that differs from, from institution to institution. It's um, and, and then it, it progresses it through, the brokenness progresses through the scientific review process, which is really entirely unnecessary. I know that's weird for a lot of people probably to possibly to hear, but the, the review process is, it's, it, we didn't have, in, in Einstein's days, it, the review process just started. And uh, Einstein was sent a, um, a letter from an editor saying that he wanted somebody to review his paper. Einstein withdrew the paper because he was so insulted that someone would suggest that someone reviewed anybody else's paper. So, so people people think that peer review is some magical filter by which only the truth is going to come out at the other end. No, most people that review papers know damn well that they are not... To review the papers that they're being sent, editors will, 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 will editors have a list of people that have published in their journals or published in other journals on on similar uh, um, matters, and then they will send you an email and asking. This is how it's done nowadays. Send you an email and uh, send you a quick synopsis of, of usually it's the abstract of a paper and ask you if you're willing to review it. Well, people nowadays, over the last few years, especially the um, calculus has changed a little bit. Over the last few years, people people now can get credit for reviewing papers. You can still choose to be anonymous, which I always do. Um, but you can, if you want, you can choose not to be anonymous, and then you actually get credit to, um, for, uh, for um, reviewing that paper, and that credit is counted when when it comes to things like. Uh, uh, going for positions at other institutions, uh, they, they 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 do really crude things when you apply for, for an academic job. Uh, if if you're a, if you're a uh, postdoc and if you're just a fresh freshman in a PhD and you're applying for postdocs in places, they'll probably look at um, how many uh, publications you have, and then they'll look at the what journals you've uh, published in and look at the, what's called the impact factor for those journals. And they do this really crude little calculation. They don't read the papers. They don't read the papers that you wrote. I mean, you're applying to their institution for a position, and they don't have anybody in that institution with with enough expertise to read your papers and decide whether you should be hired. They do this based on a calculation that weights the number of papers that you have against an impact factor, and that's it. And because at the root of it, all they really care about is whether you – can snow the NIH into giving you money. So that institution can take that money with respect, it, so the department and as well as the institution at a whole can take that money and what's called overhead, and, and, and then they're all happy. Um, the, the university gets its cut, the department gets its cut, uh, the department, department has some level of prestige from, from uh, having somebody that's there and putting in NIH money. And this is how it goes round and around and around people writing shitty papers, writing shitty NIH grants and getting them approved. I've had a number of successes on NIH grants. And, and every time I've had success on NIH or NSF grant, I always feel that it was the worst grant that I put in of the many that I put in. <laughs> and it's because yeah, well, the, people that, the people that review these things should not be reviewing them. You have to dumb down your science to a level that a high school student would, would understand in order to get a good score from the N.A.H., That is unprepared and unsophisticated the reviewers of most grants are, and it's the same thing for papers. Most reviewers of papers should excuse themselves for a lack of knowledge. I, I have seen so many papers, I mean, 90% of papers that make it into literature in my field, um, they should have been rejected outright. When they first came across yep. any reviewer's yep. desk, they make, it into, they make it into publication. And once they're out there, they get they get applause from all kinds of people. And then people like me come around and they say, uh, wait a second, this guy had uh, uh, everything wrong. And it's all traced back to this one equation where the guy simply doesn't understand uh, electromagnetism. And this, will be yeah. a PhD in, this guy will be a Ph.D. in electrical engineering. And I'll point and I'll point this up and, and everyone will go, Oh, whoops. Is, 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 is Daniel really correct here? And then everyone will like, go scratch their head and they go, Yeah, I think he is. And then they go, whoops, <laughs> And that's whoops. And, and Look, it's over and over and over and over again this thing happens. And and you know, you know Yeah, I'm, the whole the whole system needs to be
0: the whole system needs to be uprooted and made to start over again. It's, 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 too, it's too corrupted. There's too much money involved. There are too many conflict of interests. And we're not getting the proper information out to the people who need the proper information in order to make a decision. Look, I said that doctors like Fauci, when he said that we need to scare people, I said doctors' job isn't to scare people. All right, but sometimes they do, right? Sometimes you go to the doctor. You'll be a smoker. You'll be smoking three packs a day, or you're 100 pounds overweight, and the doctor's going to say to you, look, look, you have to stop smoking. Or this could very well happen to you. You have to lose weight, or you might not live past fifty. The doctors now, the doctors not saying that simply because they want to scare you. Really... Sorry, again. To...
1: Yeah, yeah you're all right. I'm sorry. Was, I'm, I'm outside. I'm sorry. I'm, in the rain, walking. You, you know the drill. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely correct. But unfortunately, doctors nowadays don't even do that much. If you go into if you're overweight and you go into a doctor's office, um, good luck. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, you should lose weight. They will tell you what your weight is because as you come into the door, the nurse is measuring your temperature and, t- and measuring your body weight. Um, they will tell you what your weight is, and they'll tell you that it's outside the normal limit. But they aren't going to get into it with you at all about uh, losing weight. That simply that simply doesn't happen nowadays. Um, <laughs> it's a whole body positivity, and it's percolated through. Um, medical schools, this, this nonsense. Um, so, yeah, right. good luck there. They might tell you to stop smoking. <laughs> well, you know, like I said,
0: it, 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 it's just based on real information the doctor has that applies to your case. And that, that, that's what a good doctor does, right? They, and they give you all the information you need, basically, right? Yeah, they I mean. give you all the information you need. Then as an adult, you will make your decision, Right. You will make your decision based on that information. But with COVID, most of the information, especially the real information was censored and deleted and we were prevented from seeing it. So people could not make the proper decisions for their own health.
1: And of COVID. course, the, and of course, the self-censoring that, that, uh, t- that came as a result of everything that I just talked about, the, the corruption in the acad- in academia itself. And back to my point about um, our, our society, but most of the major institutions are simply broken. Um, this is both a, 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 a frightening and an uplifting, from my perspective, um, revelation um, that, that um, I think any of us can easily make over the last few years, that this is the brokenness of our institutions. Um, it's frightening for the obvious reasons, um, but it's uplifting also. And it's uplifting because at this point, our society is really being held together by the morality and the ethics of each one of us on an individual level. Despite the fact that it is on a dangerous precipice right now, we at least on an individual level, collectively as individuals, have enough sense of morality and ethics that we're holding our society together. Um, but institutionally, our society has tremendous problems, and we are going to have a pro huge problems at a national security level. If we do not get our shit together really, really quick. So in 2023, what I want to see from the Republican Congress, because they promised this to us is kicking some institutional ass because yes. they, need their ass yes. kicked from here to Sunday and back again, because they failed us all.
0: Absolutely. Daniel, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You're Thank welcome. You, as always. Okay. Let's go to, let's go to William. Um, if I
3: can do this here. William, John, yeah, how are you? Hey, Mike, can you hear me okay? Yep. Great. great. Absolutely. Thank you yeah. for sharing all that with Daniel. I appreciate that. I learned a lot. I appreciate that. Um, it's shocking, the numbers. Um, I did put some things in live chat I wanted to cover real quick. You know, Hippocrates the Greek Hippocrates, the medicine was all holistic. Do you follow me? That was the root yes. of, of medicine. Now, here in Bridgeport, we have the College of Natu- Naturopathic Clinic at University of Bridgeport. Do you know they worked together with Yale University? And when I was getting my brain MRIs for a tumor that went into remission, but it had killed my uncle, they had a, a doctor, Aether Ali, as an integrative doctor up at Yale and he was professor at UB naturopathic clinic. Did you follow that? So they worked together directly. They worked together directly. Yes. Yes. And so the integrative doctor, in fact, there was, I forget the fellow's name. He looks like Santa Claus with a bald head who started integrative medicine, integrative modern medicine, where he was combining modalities. I have to look that doctor up. I forget his name. I remember seeing them like twenty years ago. I remember. So anyway, so what I'm getting at is the idea of the science. Well, this science has been combining actively. Look, because we had a big problem with super infections here in Bridgeport and St. Vincent's Hospital. Remember MRSA? You know, those, yes, the yes, yes. Yeah, antibiotic-resistant bacteria, <laughs> right? Um, Staff infection, and then C. Difficile, and so they were actively trying to work on protocols to, you know. To deal with that and other things. Right. So anyway, so um, so my dad, as I told you, used to suffer J.B. Cyril for over two decades, and he got out of it when I was a little kid, and he told me, "Billy, don't any doctor ever tell you herbs don't work? Most mm-hmm. herbs, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, most medicines come from herbs. Uh, aspirin comes from white willow bark, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. from that young age, I I, have, I haven't gotten an adult vaccine except only once when the state illegally incarcerated me too much, then dropped the case. And I was, I had to, but otherwise, anyway, that was all another matter. That's what you get for being a whistleblower in this course. So. Yeah, there you go, of course. Now, so I want to run, the Flexner report was Rockefeller Medicine. And what we've had ever since that, he debunked a lot of the naturopathic um schools in the early 1900s with the Flexner mm-hmm. report went to congress and we've had a sick care system ever since do you follow me where you know yes symptoms not holistic health right now right. so as you talked about body weight daniel was talking about that's called metabolic syndrome uh, problems where people due to obesity have high blood pressure you know cholesterol problems etc etc Right. And yes. that's all caused by our our foods today. There's multiple reasons for that. The, the commercial foods, the way they combine things, um, lots of sugar, carbohydrates, uh, uh, saturated fats, um, uh, things of that nature. And so you see obesity in kids, which you never saw before. Right. Remember? Right. The, okay. And um, so that right there. Uh, and I'm totally on board with you on the, the low death rate of this disease. What we really had is what we saw was we supposedly, with 4.3 percent of the population, had 25 percent of the COVID deaths. Well, that's just due to the metabolic syndrome problems we have here versus somewhere like India, southern India, like like you know, Ujjain Pradesh, or I forget exactly what state they call it, where first of all, th- they're not obese. And they were using ivermectin, and they had no issues with COVID. Do you follow me? Right. So yes, you know. Um, so then I want to run through real quick. So now, there's something called glyphosate. They found in eighty percent of the urine tests done in adults. Okay. Now, glyphosate is is of what's in Roundup. It's a herbicide. Do you follow me? And so, well, it's haven't, they, haven't they found that? Haven't they found that causes cancer? Yes, it causes cancer, and yeah. it's in eighty percent of people, adults' blood because they spray it on our all our produce and all our grains. That's not right. organic, of course. Well, and you so know, I
0: see why. these commer- I, I Bill, I see these commercials from these, you know, these lawyers saying, you know, if you if you got cancer as a result of
3: Roundup, but that could be many of us, right? Well, the yes, the problem is, see, the residue is going to be low, but if you look like. If you look up um, like mm, like fruits that don't have a skin, like for example banana, you're not going to have a big problem with that, and then plus different chemicals used on that anyway. But but um, versus like apples, strawberries, and then when you're talking green leafy vegetables and celery, those things ex- absorb a lot of chemicals. Do you follow me? Because yes, of, right, and you you can't really wash them off very well, so. That you, have, you get a buildup of pesticide residue and other chemicals. We're living in a giant chemical experiment versus the American Indians. Do you follow me? You know, let's face yes, it, yes. you know, we're surrounded by mm-hmm. chemicals. So it's, it causes cancer along with nitrous, nit- nitrites, which is in cured meats, which is highly carcinogenic in terms of nitrosomes in the body. And I think there's University of Hawaii and Southern UCSB. I'm trying to remember. Anyway, they did a study together and they found people ate four portions of cured meats a week had less, like 69% higher rate of colon cancers. It's crazy. Yeah, I know. Like how yes. it tied to what it is. And so there's so much we're regularly, and I grew up Italian eating all this crap. You follow me? You me know too. what I mean? I had Same, hey, me all too. That. I'm with you there. Right, yeah. and I mean, and we so used to, we used to. Think, <laughs> the, the, I love the. I, I mean, like to this day, I'm like, I gotta no, 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 I'm not gonna eat that. Once I get started.
0: Yeah, come on. Court, we used to go long to long. this. We used to go to the salumeria all the time and the cured meats <laughs> constantly.
3: Right, right, exactly. With the cheese and the Italian bread, you know, I'm salivating already. You know what I mean? No, Right. So that's also in breakfast sausages. Typical. Now you can go into the health food aisle of any store today, even though certain Oscar Mayer uh, line will not be cured with nitrites. It'll be cured with celery powder. Like, you know, right. I don't know many rabbits who get colon cancer. You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to right, say. Like, is, yeah, exactly, yeah. Right. So, so right. the, well, the other well, thing about glyphosate, Scott, I'm sorry.
0: Bill, the the the, uh, yeah. the prevalence of colon cancer is going up. I was watching Doctor Nicole yes. Nashua on Fox yesterday, and she was saying she's finding many more instances of colon cancer, and we're talking about in healthy in healthy people, healthy men of thirty thirty
3: five years old. Yeah, it's skyrocketing. What what's happening is the, the GMO foods are another contributing factor. They, the, a lot of these foods are not even available in certain countries in Europe. When you combine GMO foods with all these chemicals right and mm-hmm. and and the cured meats and the glyphosates and and it's just getting to the point where it's become an epidemic do you follow me it's skyrocketing yes. so the the now glyphosates also destroy gut bacteria and that's been shown that I, and again I have all these links in the live chat you'll see the whole bunch of them so I'm putting all these different things in so so Obviously, we need healthy gut bacteria to produce the enzymes for us to digest our food to begin with. Do you follow me? So there's lots of reasons to try and eliminate. Now, obviously, it's hard to eat all organic, but I try and eliminate uh, all the commercial stuff as much as possible. The other thing is in our cleaning products, our body care, not glyphosate, but all kinds of petrochemicals. None of that stuff's meant to be on our bodies. Do you follow me? There's all kinds of natural... Uh, coconut-based soaps you can use and, and all these other things and other cleaning products for the home. There's more chemicals under an average person's sink today than there was in a, a chemical lab in 1950. Believe me. That's you know, insane. That's you insane. Yeah. yeah. So all that, these yeah. things are contributed. Now, now, okay, we know what the true deal was with the COVID test, the, the PCR test based on Kerry Mullis, who was a Nobel Prize winning uh, uh, scientist who actually produced the test. And he, there's, I, I put the BitChu channel for Kerry Mullis in the live chat where you can watch all different videos of him all the way back to the time of AIDS talking about the COVID test. And, not the COVID test, well, the PCR test, which ended up being the COVID test. And so he's never designed it to, to diagnose disease. And he said it can't. It's very interesting. He's, he, he, I won't try and put words in his mouth. I would just suggest people consider watching it. Nothing to build a, a policy on because he's very specific that if it's done well, you will find because, he, he equates it to the Buddhist theory that we all share a certain life uh, uh, energy. But what we're really talking about here is certain genes and and things like that are all shared amongst all carbon life forms. And so what I'm getting at is, he said, if that is amplified enough times, you'll, you'll throw ninety ninety nine 99% positives. Do you follow me? Yeah. 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 But
0: yet once again, just like the COVID vaccines, the COVID testing, the COVID tests make a lot of money, right? They make a lot of money for Abbott.
3: Yeah. 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 Now the, the irky thing that's freaked me out now there's a new tabletop study, which you talk about universities, John Hopkins University, along with the World Health Organization. Based, remember I told you about Sears, S-E-E-R-S, 2025? Yes, yes, right? yes, 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 yes. This is, they got this tabletoped out. The phenomenon is, I put a, I copied some of the text in the in your live chat, dubbed Sears. This is severe. They got the severe epidemic enterovirus respiratory syndrome 2025 and just briefly enterovirus are any group of rna viruses including those causing polio and hepatitis a which typically occur in the gastrointestinal tract sometimes spreading uh, in the central nervous system and other parts of the body now what they found even with polio is most people get polio don't end up with paralysis they end up with bowel distress because again it starts in the gastrointestinal tract. So if you keep your gastrointestinal tract healthy by eliminating glyphosates and using probiotics, you're less likely to have that kind of virus spread throughout the body. Do you follow right. me? And yes. so there, there's that holistic aspect of it, number one. Number two, there's another article in the live chat um, out of off PubMed, which is the open access medical journal in the NIH library. And that's a 2010 article on zinc and zinc ionophores effective versus coronavirus, RNA viruses. Remember, this is supposed to be an RNA virus. The next big one. Okay. Uh, RNA virus, arterivirus. And if you read the abstract, even poliovirus, it's effective if you read the abstract because it's an RNA virus. Do you follow me? And so what's zinc now the ionophore like a couple examples of natural ionophores they positively charge the zinc helps it get through the cell receptor it's inside the cell that you have to thwart the viral replication because it hijacks your cells. so the zinc does it but you got to get it into the cell and the ionophore is the trick to do it and so like turmeric Black seed people think they use in India and Pakistan all the time for spicing. You go eat Indian food; it's going to have turmeric in it. You follow me almost all the time. That yellow yes. spice, right? Green tea extract, um, stuff like that. So you, you know, this is a 2010 article in pubmed mike this was there all along they knew they knew and they let this whole thing happen with covid when they had the zinc and zinc ionophores studied out and peer-reviewed in 2010 mike do you follow me this is criminal absolutely absolutely
0: no but once again and you and i know once again i'm not revealing anything you don't already know this is that all this stuff you talk about is not going to make billions of dollars for for big pharma It's not not going to create it's not going to it's it's not going to help create the fear and hysteria that they created around lies of, you know, a disease that they told people from the outset would kill two or three of every hundred people that got it. Right. And so when you talk about something like that, once you once you start spreading lies like that, people are not going to think, oh, a disease that kills. Wow. A disease once in a century, a once in a lifetime disease that kills two or three of every hundred people that get it. Oh, we're certainly not going to combat that with, with turmeric, probiotics, vitamin D and iron and zinc, right? Right.
3: So right.
0: yeah, of course. Yeah. So it, once, once the cat's out of the bag, like I said, the cat is out of the bag. And now anything that you try to say now, any real information that we try to tell people about just doesn't, mm-hmm. on, on many people, it's just lost. The, the, the official narrative that began in March of 2020 mm-hmm. is the narrative that most people still believe.
3: Yeah. And what's scary is my brother who grew up in the same house and my sister. I couldn't get through. They don't talk to me because like, stop bothering me with this stuff. Stop emailing me. I'm like, no, 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 no. The vaccine, you know, can cause serious problems. You need to listen. You don't need to worry about all this stuff here. Zinc and zinc ionophores or elderberry, which is what Tamiflu is derived from. You know, there's all Rick, Rick. Linda, you know, Rick, stop emailing me. I'm like, oh my God, Mike, you know, he's got grandkids and I'm, I, there's nothing I can do. They think I'm yep. crazy, or, you know what I mean? And it hurts me because I, these are my family and then my friends, you know? And so I, 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 there's nothing more I can do. The more I try and talk to them, the more they tune me out, you know right. what I mean? Exactly. Which is frightening. But the things that are very important,
0: the the things that are real, that people I think should understand are: you're right. These nitrates, is you know, the more you eat of like red meat, pork, that kind of stuff, the more chances you have of getting something like colon cancer. You really want to stick to things like chicken and turkey and fish. You know, those are just, those are just healthier than the than the red meats and pork and all that stuff. And I've really tried to do that recently. You know, I'm like God, I'm trying to eat more chicken and turkey, but you know, chicken and turkey are very boring things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to be able to tear into a pork chop or a steak, you know, much more exactly. exciting than, than chicken breasts, you yeah. know, and and, oh, right. and turkey is usually so dry and disgusting. I can hardly get myself to eat it once a year at Thanksgiving, you know, so but these are things you, I love fish. fish, fish I love. But the problem with fish is that it can get very expensive, right? Yeah. Fish can get very expensive to eat all if you're going to eat it several times a week. You know, so people defer to what hamburgers, hot dogs, Big Macs, those kinds of things, you know, and it's it's uh, it's tough. You know, there's like a um, I'm going to a a friend's place on New Year's Eve and I wanted to bring a charcuterie plate. But these these people I'm going to, they they prefer not to have any any pork products in their house. And so I looked at the charcuterie plate and I'm like, oh, Jesus. okay, it has salami. It has prosciutto. You know, it has all those good things that you and I know, you know, that you get at the salumeria Maria that are so delicious. But it's all pig-based. Yeah. It's, all, it's all pork, you know, so I can't bring any of that. You know, so it, it, it's tough, though. But also, that stuff isn't really good for you. It really isn't good for you. And like you say, that stuff that's prepared in charcuterie plates are full of nitrates,
3: right? Yeah, so. the nitrates, anything that's pinkish, like unusual color, pink, red, that's the nitrite. <laughs> and those turn to nitrosamines that are very carcinogenic. I don't think that red meat, especially if you found grass-fed, if you could. The, the issue with commercial beef is the antibiotics and certain things, but if you can find grass-fed, I don't think it has any negative health things that I'm aware of, but that's just a thought. The, the last thing I want to say, because I know I've run a long here and I want to be sensitive mm. to that, that there's a case law, federal case law, Jacobson, Massachusetts, 1905, when they had smallpox, right? Which is a vaccine mandate. It's Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Now, the thing that's eerie here is with this new tabletop exercise, this, remember they called it severe, you know, this, remember I gave you the definition of Sears, okay? They may force us on vaccines with this by ramping this up as being related to the polio virus. Remember RNA virus? That and what it supposedly does is affects children and causes partial paralysis and some type of brain disorder. Now, that is a scary thing for parents to think about in adults. You don't want to spread that to your kids, you don't want to have a go around, yada yada yada, and oh my God. You see what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. and But on the, but that's, of course, Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates, when they were talking about COVID and things didn't turn out quite they had planned. You know what I mean? And yes. I remember there was an interview they did, and you may remember this, where at the end of the interview, it was kind of weird when he says, Well, um, the next one, that'll get their attention. The next one. I don't know if you remember that. I have to find the I remember. Yeah, no, seeing, I know. And they, and they laughed and they smiled like beautiful. Yeah, like they lunatics. Know. I'm like, yeah. yeah, these people are sick. They they looked at one another with this. We're like, what are you freaking crazy? And there was another interview where he said, yeah, we jab GMOs, inject them right into kids' veins. I don't know if you saw that one. I'm like, this guy's a fucking monster. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. what I'm getting at is, if you see what's coming, severe. And terror virus, you see what I mean, you know, could cause severe polio, scared the living shit out of people. Even most people who get polio, the vast majority don't get any form of paralysis, but it could be that severe.
0: Well, they but just it, did this. They They just did this scare shit with polio in New York yeah, they, a few months yeah. ago. And of course, yeah. it went nowhere. It went nowhere. Yeah. You know, and they did it just to get the vac. Once again, they they went crazy. Everyone in New York needs to. Everyone in New York State, all twenty million people, need to get a new their COVID shot, a new COVID vac. No, I'm sorry, they have to get their polio vaccine again. Right. So once right. again, they found a way to sell the vaccine to make some more money with the vaccine, and there was absolutely no reason for it. All of a sudden, that disappeared from the media. It poof. It went poof. It disappeared. What happened to monkeypox? Get your monkeypox vaccine. Poof, gone. Because they knew, as I said, they were striking when the iron was hot with these vaccines, and they want
3: to bilk as much money from them as they can. It's true. It's (laughs) absolutely true. It's really sad. And um, so I appreciate you feeling my call, and I'm glad we could talk. And we're right on the same page here, and we're just trying to let people know. I'm not a doctor, but I give you all the you know, periodicals for it's people true. review, of course, to make. I'm not a what doctor, movie? but I
0: play one on the podcast. I'm just, yeah, joking. right. right.
3: <laughs> we, we we're we always told growing up, get multiple opinions, right? Now, all of a sudden, no, you got to go with Fauci's opinion. You know what, Fauci, oh, you're a monster. God. Get out of here. I'm going to get multiple opinions. I'm going to do my research, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, brother? <laughs> anyway. Of course. Did, well, Bill, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, Mike. Really thanks, All right,
0: all right. Thanks. Me too. Oh my goodness! Yeah, but that's what the you know. I guess that that's what it's all about: making money, making money, and and the legacy media ties into it. They do the scare. They did that ridiculous polio scare in New York to get people to get the vaccine. Then they just shut up and it went away, disappeared. And they did the same thing with monkeypox, and it just went away, boom, because no one got polio. Very few people got monkeypox. It just went away, poof. But they were able to scare people enough to make a little bit of money, probably very little, on the polio thing, and then make a decent amount of money in the major cities with the gay population, at least with the with the monkeypox vaccine. Striking while the iron is hot. It's not, And people think, oh, it's not a coincidence. I said, oh, it's just such a coincidence that they're promoting these other vaccines at the same time of COVID, the exact same time, piggybacking off COVID. And people think, oh, you know, it's Mike. You're crazy. It's just a coincidence. They're not doing it on purpose. My goodness. Just incredible naivete in this country. Because people want to be naive. I guess it's simpler to be naive. I guess it's easy to be naive. Uh, well, we're not naive. We're not naive. Um, all right. I think uh, I'll do a... Well, okay, I think we're going to wrap up the show. I think we'll wrap up this show. Tomorrow will be the last show, Friday night. Tomorrow night will be the last show of 2022. It will be the last... Broadcast of 2022. Um, and what I will do at probably at the end of the show is I'll do my I'll do a 10 best list of 2020 movies, 10 best movies of, of 2022. The 10 best movies of 2022 we will do on the last broadcast of 2022. Uh, maybe we'll talk about New Year's resolutions. If you're for that or against it, if you have any that you might want to share publicly, um, we'll talk about that. Maybe we will uh, play some song. Who knows? It'll, it'll be the last show of the year. You know, people are on vacation, so it's been a light week. Um, and uh, maybe we need a light week. Maybe we need a light show before things really, oh, boy. I think things are really going to start to get going next week. So, um, but I'll be here, and you'll be here, and we'll be here together to talk about these things. Once again, this show airs. It's called And Let's Be Heard airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern Time. I'm Mike Cachopoli, reminding you that your influence counts. Use it.